welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Welcome to episode 118 by Panoramic Outdoors. Today's episode is brought to us by Stillwater Adventures in Verdon, Manitoba. If you're looking to get some new fishing equipment for last minute ice fishing in northern Manitoba or even the open water season, uh, check out 269 King Street East in Verdon and that's Stillwater Adventures store or you can check them out online at stillwateradventures.ca. They've got a bunch of sales going on for like a March Madness sale. They've got free shipping um, for certain items, so check them out. They help us uh, at Panoramic, so let's help them out. But today's episode is going to be a good one. We've got a wicked guest, Jana Waller from Skullbound TV. And for the intro, we got the normal three, Chase, Tristan, and myself. What's going on, fellas? Oh, not too much here. Just uh, Willie's acting a fool in the background. So if you notice any um, extra noise, that's my dog just wanting to exercise. So you know, Willie Dog to was out of the house, or what? Yeah, I think so. Here, Willie Dog was, uh, was eyeing up a couple of geese today. I seen on the old Instagram. Oh yeah, he uh, he hates those geese. He hates them hard. Giving them the stink eye. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he's lo- he's loving the the warm weather. So all good there. Nice. I'm just pumped you- up to uh, to get rolling up to Thompson here. I'm kind of excited. We got, you got your the, batteries charged up. I got a couple more batteries to charge. Um, but uh, I've been charging batteries for the last three days on stuff, so we should be good to go soon. But uh, I'm excited. Ice fishing season is closed down here in the south, and we're going to go extend our season up north here for a bit and hopefully get on a, a wicked little fishing trip here. Yeah. I'm speaking about charging batteries, I've been going through, I actually lost my battery charger for my one camera. So I don't know where that is right now, but charging batteries for cameras, for flashers, and of course the Jiffy Rogue. You guys have been running it pretty much all season. Um, our kind of our last kick of the can is going to be our northern trip. But when you guys want to give me your year in review of the Jiffy, like what do you think overall? Anything that you guys would improve? Maybe anything? Well, we we noticed right out of the bag that it had power. That it was that what is it the eighty eighty. 4 cc 88 cc 80 volt 80 volt <laughs> we noticed right out of the bag that it had power that the 80 volt power head on that really cut ice real quick the chipper blade worked really well um the other thing we noticed though is like and they, they were kind of commenting on uh, a few upgrades that they're hoping to make for next season i think um there's a few buttons that you know the, the forward reverse could be a little firmer you know what i'm saying did you have that experience at all? Yeah, there's a little bit of, uh, I think a little bit. I mean, as first, I think their first run at the uh, the electric scene with the well, the the big electric scene with the with the Rogue made it super light, uh, really portable, and the thing runs like a bat out of hell, and which is super cool. And um, but yeah, just the buttons and a couple of little small things on it could uh, could get. Um, reinforced we'd say 
but overall i really enjoyed that machine it was uh it was great because i mean it's our first time owning an electric auger uh punching holes in the shack was awesome and uh not having to dump gas all over the place was also awesome yeah i'd i'd, I'd agree with you guys there the other thing that i would take away from it is just the um, well just the number of holes we're, we're drilling with the battery right and I, I was, this is my first time using electric and I never thought it would drill that many holes. You know, we had a lot of ice this year, like we were putting uh, extensions on our, on our drills. So lots of ice and it was cutting it really well. And I think, I think it'd be very fair to say because they are newer, like Chase was saying with the, with the big electric auger kind of idea that they are going to have some bumps and bruises along the way, but they have a really good team behind them where they're, they're fixing everything that was complained about from what I've heard. So I'm really looking forward to, uh, you know, the upcoming or newer products coming down the line for, uh, for this winter coming up. The other thing I liked was how, how quick the inserting the extension was. So like the, the system they got there with the, the bolt is just really super fast, which is kind of nice when you're, when you're on a, a body like Lake Winnipeg, where you're not sure if you're going to need that extension during the day or not. So yeah, that was super helpful. Yeah. Sheldon, what can you tell us about this this fishing trip here? Now I'm I'm gung ho for it. I'm excited. It's coming around the corner faster than we can shake a stick at. But uh, what are we going to be doing up there? Well, first of all, <clears throat> I'd like to say for anyone that's listening, I know that Chase and Tristan have kids they have to look after, but with this trip, I have kids I have to look after, as in Chase and Tristan. So some things have been kind of a little stressful getting some things lined up with menus and making sure we're bringing the right gear and we're not bringing like three times the gear we need. Um, Sheldon, so that's, we're, we're just letting you spread your ling- wings a little bit, buddy. We're, we're you letting you out of the house. You're giving me some <laughs> leash, man. I love it. I can just go get to the end of the yard. Uh, but yeah, we uh, we got. I think we got everything in order. And what we can expect is basically your closest thing you can get to a fly-in ice fishing um, retreat or ice fishing trip. Like this thing is not accessible by pickup truck um, you know, it's a uh, snowmobile or quad or, or, or a plane. And it's quite a ways away from your front door. Like, I mean, we're going to be traveling uh, 900 kilometers, just about or 800 kilometers to get there. So it's going to, it's not going to be like your everyday um, content creation day on Lake Winnipeg. It's going to have a lot of different species. There's five or six different species you can catch in the lake. And it's that spring season up there right now. So um, still good ice, but it should be pretty, I'm hoping it should be pretty good for uh, Big Jack and Walleye and everything else. Do you have a goal for the weekend? Do you have a, like a, a benchmark? Well, I do have a few goals myself personally, but like up there, I've never had luck ice fishing for Walleye ever. I've never caught a master, but that obviously be my number one goal. And same with the Big Jack. Um, but I have also wanted to hook into some burbot. I know there's some some really healthy burbot populations on that lake. So I'm sure we'll be able to get into a few of them and then, uh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe cutting up a few and, and cooking them out on the ice. I think that'd be super cool too. I haven't had the experience to actually cook any or even learn how to clean one. So I know Josh is going to be around. So maybe you can give me a few pointers or one of you guys. So huh. just have Josh clean all the fish. Yeah, exactly. Thanks McFads. <laughs> what, about, what about you guys? Number, Chase, you have any goals? Number one lackey. Uh, yeah. Well, first off, I want to say full disclaimer, you have been doing the majority of the planning for the trip. So big thanks to you for that. Um, my goals, I'd really, uh, I'm excited to get up there, just check the place out and uh, try and take it in for all that it's worth. I think it's going to be just an overall an amazing experience. I've never done uh, really like um, 
a really serious ice fishing winter trip to like a ice fishing camp pretty much is what we're doing right now. Right. Like I've, I've done a couple yeah. remote backcountry things. Um, I've done like child's Lake for new year's kind of thing, but nothing like just purely ice fishing focus in the remote backcountry in a cabin, um, with a bunch of dudes, which I'm excited about. Um, what I want to do, I, I'm, I mean, it's the diversity of fisher is is really surprising to me because uh like like you already mentioned three species there plus there's whitefish i think you'd said and some sauger and stuff like that so i'm interested to see what we're going to get into but i really really want to try and uh pull a couple big pike up through the ice as i want to do yeah really you tristan well i'm always nervous when i hit a new body water that's on the ice so my my main priority is not to go through the ice and then subsequently i would love to hook into a big pike i think we're going to bring up some tip-ups and we got some bait coming from harvester some big herring so we'll uh hopefully get dialed into a few big pike and just maybe get a, a messy fight on our hands but i'm also looking forward to the night bite i'll be honest i haven't been able to participate in a night bite this year and it's uh it's hurt my soul a little just being divorced from that yeah i think thursday night is going to be is going to be the night bite night to do it because we are uh, we got some other things to do the other two nights while we're there um we're going to be doing a podcast with Corey while we're there and um you know a couple videos and stuff but the one bonus thing for you guys too which i think is pretty cool is that we get to spend uh, three or four days there with Corey, who's been doing the guiding business with all train bear hunts for like 30 years. Right. So he, I mean, if we can get him sitting down with an ice fishing rod and start telling stories with him, I'm sure we're going to hear some good moose and bear hunting stories, some wolf hunting stories. So I, I'm looking for just the, you know, he's always got something to tell. So um, that, that should be very exciting, but, but yeah, that's basically our trip. Now it's just time to get on the road and do it. Yeah, I think, you know, I think um, I'm pretty excited because we're going to have a good group of guys going up there, obviously. Um, us three are heading up. Josh McFadden's headed up. Uh, Owen Lockhart's going to be joining us for the ride. And uh, Corey, your cousin Corey Grant, is going to be up there. And um, I, I said this before, man, it's always great to have a good group of guys in camp and you really get to learn who, who people are in camp and share some some great stories so just the the story exchange and uh the laughs that we'll have up there i'm looking forward to it yeah it should be a good trip if uh somebody wanted to get into one of them jiffy augers where would we find one by the way that we we're chatting up earlier yeah jiffy ice augers if you guys are looking for jiffy ice augers like the rogue that we're running um or like any gas job or any of the tools or accessories that they do have on their website go to jiffyonice.com they have free shipping in the u.s i think on orders over 100 and i like i've mentioned in the last podcast before if you are looking for jiffy or any jiffy product you can go to your basically any local uh sports store and and find that product on the shelf this is the right time to buy an auger too they're on sale so uh, if you're looking for one check out your local sports store or go to jiffyonice.com i got to do a quick plug for my uh my favorite hunting app right now, which is, uh, the iHunter app. And it's totally related to this trip too, because, um, when we were talking back and forth about the trip, I remember we were, we were talking about, you know, trying to figure out when we can leave work, how we can get up, but what time we're going to get up there, when are we going to get in camp and all this stuff and, uh, to try and make sense of it all. And then eventually I was just like, well, just send me a pin of the camp on, on iHunter and we'll have a look at it. 
and then we can determine. Then I was able to see where the camp actually is, so it's easier for us to communicate, and we can do a little bit of scouting on there, find out where some big pike might be, get back in some of those big bays and stuff like that. So another great use for for the iHunter app, not just for hunting, but for all outdoors use. Yeah, I'm gonna just butt in there too, Chase, because when I was you're like, oh, send me the the whatever waypoint on iHunter, I had to like almost open up a couple different maps that were all accessible on iHunter so I could find a road to kind of like put my, cause that lake is kind of tough to navigate on online because I don't know the area that well myself either, but I know like the, the, like the closest road. And I was thinking if I can find that road. So I had to like overlay a couple maps. And once I got it figured out, it was super easy to find, but it was really cool to use iHunter and like pull up like an app, a map, a map from Apple and a map from somewhere else, Google or something and um kind of just look at two different layouts so that was i thought that was a really cool feature too um so yeah i could find like the provincial highways and then move off the provincial highways to the river and then from the river to there so it was it was really cool mm-hmm. yeah and then it's just dropping a waypoint and then sending it to your buddy saying this is where we're going um if you guys are interested in hopping on checking out some the iHunter app if you guys don't have it already don't be a fool go out download the iHunter app if you want to check it out online too, you can either go to iHunterApp.com or go to the web.ihunterapp.com to get the, um, it's like the web interface of the iHunter app. So you can download all your info on there, move all your waypoints on there uh, from your GPS or from any other device and integrate everything. They have the public landowner or public land maps and they have the landowner maps as well. And if you're interested, again, 30% off the public land public land maps. Can't talk today. Dial in the code panoramic30 to the web.ihunterapp.com, and that'll get you 30% off your public land subscription. Right on. And like we kind of, uh, or like I mentioned earlier, we have Jana Waller on. Um, but Tristan, I was just going to mention to you, we've had this conversation a few times on different podcast intros about like, uh, conservation groups and stuff and I when we're having this conversation I was thinking of you as in like this would be a you know you should have been maybe doing the hosting instead of me kind of in some parts because she does a lot of work with conservation groups and you were talking about some of the stuff that um, you know we could do as a group or we could do individually um, doing conservation work have you come up with any more ideas maybe that you can share with us that we can maybe get into like you're maybe building some bird nests building bee houses what are you doing in your backyard there Oh yeah. Well, the bee house is going okay, but yeah, the, one of the things that I thought would be really fun for us to do, and maybe, maybe we could get a little feedback from the listeners here, uh, DMS on the, the old Instagram, but I would love to do like a night of beers and mallard houses or something like that. So you just kind of build those, those wire cages with the, uh, with the grass, the hen houses, the hen houses. Yeah. You could do wood ducks too, I guess, but probably a little bit more precarious when you're getting into some of that stuff with saws and beers. So maybe keep it a little, little PG and just do the hen houses with the, with the wire and uh, maybe sit around a campfire. That's not too unruly and, you know, just see if we can punt out, you know, 30, 40 hen houses or something like that could, could go a long way and just helping uh, local duck population somewhere. Right. Guarantee oh, you two things will happen on that that event. A, <laughs> one, uh, you're going to spill a beer. 
And two, yeah. somebody's going to end up bleeding, either you or me, because, uh, you know, project time, that's usually how it goes down. But um, and, th- and three, Tristan will burn the jalapeno poppers, the yeah. duck poppers. Oh, boy. Or there'll be a duck house on fire. Yeah. <laughs> all part, all entertaining parts of the night. Let's just, let's point that out yeah. off the front end. No guarantee, but that stuff comes for free. <laughs> well, the thing is, is like just at the bottom or at the end of the day, after talking with her, I really started thinking about some of the initiatives that Tristan was talking about in an earlier podcasts, like we should be doing something or, you know, what can we do? But yeah, if anybody is, has any ideas or wants to get us involved into some of your projects or maybe some volunteer work this summer, uh, drop us a line. Like we can't, might not be able to do it all, but we can certainly try to help out where we can and volunteer some of our time. Or I know I will personally, and I'm sure I speak for the whole group, but a couple, couple nodding heads. But before we get into the podcast, anything else you guys want to shout out, mention, uh, ask questions, share drinks with, anything before we go? I just... Uh... I'm hoping Tim Hunter comes up and fishes with us this summer. He's been lighting up our social media. So if the if the guy wants to come catch some cats or something, Sheldon, are you in? If we, uh... oh yeah, yeah, I've got a list of I've got a list of guys would be sweet to get up. Like Matt Hendricks was talking about coming up. Um, Tim Hunter or even uh, Ryan Bickle from the last one. He's a big fisherman too. So get him catching some cats would be probably pretty cool. Nice. Um, Dell's coming out with a new record too. I, I noticed he's out mixing it right now out west. Oh, really? Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. So something to be on the lookout for the horizon there. So yeah. if you like our intro song, which is probably the best in the game right now, just be on the lookout for Dell Barber's latest record. Yeah, Dell does our outro song. Dell does our yeah, Dell does our intro or outro and our transition music as well on the podcast. Dell is a beauty of a guy, and I think he's got some um, like concert dates listed to a Tristan that you can find on. I think that, uh, I seen it on Instagram. You may might have tagged us too. Yeah, on the on Instagram, Instagram there. Yeah, so look look for that. Like he's playing a couple local shows. I think one in Winnipeg and actually one up in English, which would be super cool to go to because English is a cool little town now. That's um, his hometown too, right? So yeah. you, get, you get the hometown crowd there. Yeah, that'd be like um, the honky tonk bar that uh, Jade Eagleson was talking about i think that's what it'd be like up in english where he was conceived yeah <laughs> but yeah huge thank you to dell and his his uh group there they uh, like chase was saying they've done their music for us um good big supporters of the podcast good friends of ours so check him out uh, that'd be great on to the on to the main part of the podcast fellas or what let's roll man let's do it Okay, so tonight's guest, today's guest, whenever you're listening to, is a bow hunter, a skull designer, and a TV host, along with a lot of other things, a professional American adventurer, I'd call her, but welcome to the show, Jana Waller. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking Did forward I... to this pod chat. Oh, perfect. Did I kind of pronounce that correctly? Waller, I, I know it's pretty easy, but I'm uh, I'm not really good with English some days. Well, you did. And actually, the part people mess up all the time is the Jana. Jana Banana, oh. I always tell everybody, but I've gotten Jenna, Jana. You name it, but uh, <laughs> you can call me Sherm too. Shermanator, that's my nickname. So anyway. Shermanator, well, we might have to keep that for later on here okay. in the podcast. <laughs> so how we're going to start off, as everyone knows, that listened before, we're going to do five burning questions. Uh, I've got three. I think Chase has got two, so I'll start off, and then Chase will kind of jump in, in in the middle there. But my first question for you, Jana, is if you had one last meal on this earth, what would you be eating, and what would you pair it with with a drink? I would be eating deep dish Chicago style pizza 
um, with probably a glass of delicious red wine. <laughs> Ooh, red nice. wine. I like okay. that. I'm, I'm so curious about this, but like, where is your favorite place to get deep dish Chicago style pizza? Cause I've, I've, I've heard it's great and I've been wanting to try like an amazing deep dish style pizza and I haven't been able to, to get on one for like the last five years. So. Well, they are hard to find. Like I, 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 I'm right now I'm down in Utah at my boyfriend's. I have not found one down here. Um, I live in Montana. I've really not found any great deep dish in Montana, but I'm from Wisconsin, Southern Wisconsin. In fact, that's why I probably sound like you guys. Um, <laughs> and I, but I grew up just two hours North of Chicago. So it, it's branched up there and probably the easiest spot is called Uno's and it's a chain. Um, they have really good pizza. They actually do shipping too. I've seen Uno's deep dish in grocery stores. And of course it's not as good as the fresh, but you gotta, you gotta, you know, you can only got to deal with what they give you. So, yeah, but yeah. yeah, it's, it's, if you find a place that makes an amazing, huge crust, I mean, I've had them where they're like four or five inch thick crusts. It's Jeez. like a pizza pie and oh, yeah. it's amazing. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are making me. <laughs> <laughs> Chase, is that your question or is it, is it your turn now? <laughs> Am I asking the next question? Yeah. Are you doing three? Okay. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm in between here. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, uh, I really, I mean, obviously I, I feel like right now, Jenny, um, with all the, like you're just been immersed in the media stuff for, um, a huge amount of years now, and I'm sure there are a ton of young adventuring females males out there that that look at you as inspiration for life for adventures for anything but as a kid who was your inspiration or who did you look up to um that would definitely be my dad he's the one who got me into hunting it's it's funny i've joked about this on many a podcast but i was the second daughter um of just two and you know really well i'm sure he really wanted a boy and he didn't get one so he turned me into one that's the, <laughs> that's the whole joke but really he saw in me just a love of nature and i was always outside and so when i was old enough to walk the pheasant fields of wisconsin with him he let me take along and sit in the duck blinds and so really he he was my inspiration he was the one i wanted to make proud you know and um I would say, I also would say that, you know, then now mind you, I'm going to date myself here, but back when I was in high school and even college and after there were not the hunting television shows like there are today, you know, and the one woman that the first woman I remember watching on TV and being inspired by was Brenda Valentine. And she's just that she is literally the first lady of hunting. She's an icon. She paved the way for so many of us. And she's, you know, it's funny because Brenda works so closely with the National Wild Turkey Federation. And I'd say in the last maybe decade or two, she's really, obviously you see her turkey hunting all the time, but she is, she is a BA. She has arrowed Cape Buffalo with her bow. I mean, she's done it all. And um, I think it's, it's easy in today's day and age and the modern world we live in and social media and, you know, everybody being younger, getting into hunting and adventure and fishing and it's, it might be easy to forget those women that paved the way like Brenda Valentine, but she, she was iconic. She was out there doing it when not a lot of other women were. And when I, you know, I took Hunter safety in in a room full of boys and now you go and it's half girls, you know, mm -hmm. it's awesome. I, I, a lot of my friends who teach classes will invite me in to, 
to talk to the kids. And if you look around and it's definitely half teenage girls, which is so good to see. But when I grew up, there was, there really, there weren't that many. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I could imagine the, the shift in the, in that is just, it has to be quite significant now because like you said, there just wasn't many females in the industry back then. And it's not to say that nobody wanted none, no females wanted to be there. It just, it was a different space. And and now there's certainly a, a fantastic presence and it's only getting stronger from what I can see. Yeah. And a big, you know, a big change has been the internet, right? I mean, when I, when I was, you know, even after college, I didn't have a cell phone. There was no such thing as the internet. I mean, you know, times have completely changed, which, you know, good, you can, we can have a whole nother podcast on, is that a good or bad thing? But um, social media has definitely changed hunting and fishing and adventuring as a whole, probably as well as every other, you know, hobby and lifestyle. But yeah, yeah, back in the day, even before DVDs came out, you might, I remember in Wisconsin, you know, once in a while, you might see a little bit of hunting or fishing on like Saturday or Sunday morning, like public TV kind of thing, or your statewide TV. But yeah, it's just a completely different world just 40 years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, question number three for you, kind of switching gears a little bit, but if you had a fa- or like a weapon of choice, I know you've, before we jumped on here, you kind of mentioned some other things you've been doing, but you're known as an archery hunter, I think very well known as an archery hunter, but like, what's your favorite weapon to use when you're going out in the woods hunting? That's such a tough question because I did, you know, I grew up bird hunting, obviously with a shotgun, um, pheasants, ducks, with geese with my dad. I then picked up a bow my freshman year in college. And that was a long time ago. That was <laughs> 1989, 90. And so um, I've been bow hunting longer than anything else. Um, if you don't include the bird hunting um, in terms of big game, bow hunting longer than anything else. So, I mean, I obviously I'm, I'm very passionate about archery. But then when I moved at 12 years ago, I moved out to Montana and got really into long range rifle hunting, you know, in, in the woods in Wisconsin, when we'd hunt whitetails, our first, my furthest shot at my dad's cabin is 150 yards, you know, it's nothing. But when I moved out to Montana, you know, it's, it's nothing to have, well, as far a shot as you want really. And then I, I, I wanted to become really comfortable with that. Believe it or not, I, I think it's, it's, there's more to long range rifle hunting, precision, long range rifle hunting, than sitting in a tree stand and, and shooting, you know, a deer or a bear at 30 yards, like the, you know, there's, there's the ballistic side of things. There's the wind, there's the elevation, you know, there's the angles, there's a lot to precision, long, long range rifle hunting. But if I had to only pick one, it would probably be archery. But I also have just gotten into handgun hunting in the last five years, four years, and uh, have notched five tags with my pistol. So that's really fun too. It's really hard. And then I, I actually just got into muzzleloader hunting. I think that was five years ago. I went on my first muzzleloader hunt, and that's a whole different ball game as well. And so to me, it's just fun keeping it fresh, changing it up, and being able to extend your seasons longer because oftentimes, depending on the weapon, you get to add on another big season to your fall or to your spring. So that's what it's about for me is just getting outside. It's hard to choose a favorite, but if I had to pick one, it would probably be the bow. That's funny. You said that about uh, rifle hunting in Wisconsin there, because um, like we, where we grew up, there's obviously lots of big bush that we hunt as well. And when I was guiding, 
um, way back when, uh, we'd, we'd get hunters in and we'd put them, we always hunted the, what we would call the big bush with them. And, uh, we put them up in the tree stand. And like you said, the furthest shot was like hundred yards, 150 yards in some of these shooting lanes. And there'd be, you know, we'd have like three or four shooting lanes, but you get them up there and they get them back to camp at the end of the day. And they, they, they're like, gosh, I feel like I'm in archery stand over here. <laughs> like, where's the <laughs> rifle shots? And it's yeah. like, this is it. This is where the deer are. So where are you going to get them? Yeah. It's funny because I've killed my biggest Wisconsin buck with a rifle was literally at maybe 25 yards. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And it was a rifle hunt. Yeah. I could have shot him with my pistol or my bow. <laughs> what yardage are you usually going for with, with your pistol? Um, I'm 40 and under. I mean, okay. now mind you, I hunt with a Desert Eagle 429. You could, oh, wow. you can target shoot out to a hundred yards. You can hit a, you know, a water, a water uh, milk jug at a hundred yards. And it just depends on the shooter. I'm not comfortable shooting it past, you know, 40, 50 yards at an animal. Um, really? But you could train and train and train and, and get there. I just, you know, I, I primarily have been using it for like mountain lion and bear. I went down to Texas and we hunted out of stands and they were archery type stands. And I shot javelina, um, hog, turkey out of a, a ground line type of situation. So nice. Maybe we'll unpack that pistol thing a little bit further throughout the podcast. I got some more questions about that. Sure. <laughs> uh, question four coming from me, I guess. Um, now, um, I mean, listen to all or going through all your media and stuff like that. It, it's really like um prevalent that prevalent prevalent ah, terrible with words here we go um that you i mean there's no question that you're this almost like fearless adventurer but what is one fear that you have that you want to conquer well i'm not sure i want to conquer it but <laughs> <laughs> i do have a fear of it's like a love-hate relationship with sharks and it comes from being, I believe, in fourth or fifth grade, they brought back Jaws to my local cinema, and my parents dropped me and my best friend off. We're like in grade school. They let us go to Jaws. They, they Clearly, they were either horrible parents or had no idea what Jaws was really about. But I was petrified in that watching that movie and I love it and I've since like it's you know the question if you could take five movies to your desert island it's Jaws is always right up there in the top five but and I do a lot of fishing and I'm I'm in and around the ocean a ton and I've been to you know great white central Australia but I have never dove with them my friend one of my best friends my and my roommate Laura Zara did a just recently last year did a dive with great whites and oh, she wow. said it was amazing, but that for some reason, I'm not, I don't know how I would react. You know how everybody, so we talk a lot about grizzly bears where I'm from because of Montana and, and what would you do in a grizzly bear situation? And obviously I know what to do. I hunt, I hunt in Grizz Central all the time. We saw 11 grizzly bears in 10 days. The last time I archery hunted my favorite spot in Montana. So we see them all the time. What would you do though, if you were attacked or in that situation? And you really don't know. You know, you can be mentally as prepared as you think you are. That's what I feel like when I think about what would I do diving with great whites? I'm not sure I could keep it all together. <laughs> Even if I was in the cage thing, I, still, you know, they get in the cages. I've seen it on oh, YouTube. Yeah. You watch some of those videos, those sharks getting in cages. I'm not going in there. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if your desert, desert Eagle work in a cage or not. <laughs> Underwater. <laughs> 
and they're I love them like I love sharks I'm a shark week fanatic you know I, I watch every single thing I I'm so disappointed when I'm going through the menu and it says shark something and it's a show about a vacuum like I love <laughs> absolutely love them but I don't know if I could dive with them that's the one thing and because my roommate just did it I'm like God, I wonder how I would act like Mm-hmm. I'm so freaked out by them, but I, I do think it would be amazing. And maybe someday I will conquer that. I don't know. Yeah. It's almost like one of those things that, you know, it it's a, it's a, like a looming fear, but once you get there, it might be a different story and you might yeah. be super happy if you do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right on question number five. And because five burning questions can go anywhere we want it to go. My last question. Um, I don't know if you are a huge music fan or not, but if you did have one concert to go to um, alive or dead, who would you go and watch? Ooh. That's a good one. Um, I, I'm in the grand scheme of things. I'm honestly quite the music idiot. Like I'm, I don't know anyone. Uh, it's funny. Like, I don't know anyone modern, like, well, I mean a few, but like, I, I know, I know what I like and I download it and I could listen to a song a million times and not even tell you who sings it. Like, I'm also a real idiot in terms of pop culture. I don't know who any actors are, actresses. I don't know anyone like um, who's famous athletically. Like, I just, I just don't really care about that pop culture. But the one person I would really like to see in concert would be Chris Stapleton. I love his music. Anytime I'm just like, chilling out working on a skull i usually typically put on chris stapleton and just he's just to me really um easy to listen to i love every single one of his songs and i think it would be super fun to go to him now if it was if you asked me who passed on that i would love to go see um that would probably be something i don't know that's a good question i'm literally i've been to many many duran duran concerts but now again i'm aging myself so Well, we can just leave it at that for now, I guess. Okay. I'll let you know <laughs> if I think of anybody else. Perfect. Sounds good. So carrying on, I guess what we would like to do, Jenna, is to kind of just start out. You kind of mentioned it in the five burning questions, but we kind of want to backtrack a little bit about how you kind of got started in the outdoors. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you kind of mentioned like your dad got you out outside and, and you know, or not tree hunting but pheasant hunting etc but how did that evolve to where you're at now like how, like i kind of want to i'm very interested on how that worked out for you and maybe some of the struggles you you dealt with on along the way sure well i'll give you the cliff notes version um Absolutely. so i picked up a bow so the reason i picked up a bow is i was a freshman in college and my dad had only been bow hunting a couple of years and i really think like it, it's so important in terms of i i'm really into I have a lot of passionate causes, but one of them is getting youth involved into the great outdoors because of the culture we live in where kids are just addicted to technology, their phones, you know, gaming, all that. They need to get outside. They need to, to just experience, you know, mother earth and the trees and the wind and, and hunting. Nothing does it better than hunting or fishing. But like, um, I, so I was a freshman in college and my, and, and my dad had been boating, bow hunting a couple of years. He called me. I remember he called and left a room, my roommate, a message. And he said, call her for your dad. And I called him and I only went to college 10 minutes from where I grew up. And he said, I stuck my first buck tonight, but I can't find him. Do you want to come over in the morning and help me find him? And I said, heck yeah. And this is so long with this 1989, this is, do you guys remember, or have you ever seen my dad is such a gidget guy? Like I'll try that. He's like, he's like an expose, like 
you know, biggest dream because he walks through an expo and like, oh, you know, little lighty things to, you know, trail blood trails. I'll try those. And so he had one of those strings on his bow that was attached to the arrow. Right. And then you shoot the arrow and it drew and, and, you know, the string spools out of his bow. He had one of those. <laughs> And it actually ran out like, you know, it's supposed to be like a hundred yards of spool or whatever. <laughs> so it was so funny because he stuck this buck and it ran into the corn and it, like, there's this spool of string all over. And I'm like, Oh my Lord, dad. And um, <laughs> so anyway, we followed the string, the string. He said, I followed the string and he showed me where he left off and the buck had gone quite a ways away into the corn and um, backed up to the last spot. He left it and we kind of split up. And I was over on the edge of the field and I was noticing the, I got on these nice big tracks and I was noticing all of a sudden that they were dragging and I was getting more and more excited. And sure enough, I step over in a row and I scream. I'm like, dad, 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 I found him. And he runs over and I can, I can honestly say I've never seen my dad more excited than finding that buck. And he literally, when he was telling the story to his friends, he equated the excitement of finding that buck to the birth of his two daughters. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if we weren't that exciting or the deer was that amazing. So, but I remember thinking, standing there with him being 18, 19 and thinking, I want, if I want to know what that feels like, like I was excited for him. Was that, I was that your first experience like around yeah. big game hunting? Um, I had sat in the tree stands a couple of years with my high school boyfriend, but he never shot anything when I was with him. But I, I knew how awesome it was to sit in the trees, mm. but I had not, I never even contemplated getting my first bow until these two things collided. My dad shooting his buck. And like a week or two later, my roommate who was a couple of years older than I was, had a friend over and her friend was a bow hunter. And I, I remember talking with her and she's this little thing. And I said, I can't, I, I, I don't, I can't pull my boyfriend's bow back or my dad's bow back. And she's like, well, you have to get one that fits you. Like I never, I'd never been in a bow shop. So I didn't realize that, you know, you can tune it down and start a lot lower, you know? And so with meeting her and my dad finding, finding my dad's buck, I got a bow. The next year I shot my first doe and I was so excited and I was just totally hooked after that. And then, so, and then life happened in between 19 and like two more decades. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, a, a decade and a half. And um, I bow hunted Wisconsin every single year, you know, it was, and, and found some pretty good success. And my dad had a nice cabin just north of the Wisconsin Dells. So that was like heaven for me. And um I actually, most people don't know this. I actually worked for Edward Jones Investments um, for 10 years. And my ex, he was a broker with Jones and I worked in the office with him. And I would take Wednesdays off and I would go drive up to my dad's cabin and bow hunt. And I actually taught my ex-husband how to bow hunt and my stepson and got them into it. And and uh, they weren't as into it as I was, but I was just addicted. Um, all fall, um, I picked up a gun a couple years later um, and uh, got into a little bit of rifle hunting in Wisconsin. But then I moved, um, we got a divorce. I met my now ex, uh, moved out to Montana and he was actually producing a different show on the outdoor channel called Nosler's Magnum TV. And we got, when we were dating long distance, you know, he had said to me, we should start our own show. And I wasn't, actually the keenest idea. I, I wasn't sure I, I wanted to host a show. Um, 
at that same time, when I was living in Wisconsin, another show came along who actually found me. I was doing a bunch of writing just uh, for fun. Womenhunters.com. Back in the day, this is 20 some years ago. One, The leading hunting website for women was called womenhunters.com. I don't even know if it's still around anymore. I would say now the leading website for women hunting is the one, Women's Outdoor News. But started writing just to stay connected to other female hunters. And um, this production crew who worked for um, Animal Planet, Discovery History, saw uh, some of my articles on womenhunters.com. They flew out to Wisconsin. They filmed a pilot of women who hunt and sustainability. They actually filmed it for Animal Planet, believe it or not. It never went anywhere, but um, they came back and filmed another pilot about, and this production company, that's what they did. They built pilots for big networks. And they came back and did another pilot about my skull business. Cause at the time I was painting and beating skulls just for fun, raising money for conservation. I would go to my dad's ducks unlimited banquet or, you know, QDMA banquet or, or whitetails unlimited and try to raise money for what I loved. And that pilot never went anywhere, but then I started dating my ex and I thought, you know, there must be something here, right? Because these other production companies have reached out. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. And I ended up moving out to Montana. We started filming and collecting footage for our pilot. Um, we wanted to tie in my skulls because I'm very passionate about uh, money, raising money for conservation. And I was actually doing some, people would send me their skulls and I would beat them up, whether they were bear or whitetail or, or you know, all, from all different kinds of hunts. And I'm like, God, oh, there's so many cool stories behind these skulls too. And we actually tied that in a little bit more in the early days of Skullbound. But we made a pilot. We pitched it to the Sportsman's Channel at SHOT Show. And at that time, there weren't any other solo female hosted shows. So they like, absolutely, we want it. Um, we want you to air a quarter one, two of next year. So that first year, we just started gathering footage, whitetail hunts, turkey. We went to Africa. Africa is kind of easy. You could go to Africa for 10 days and get a bunch of shows. Um, and so we did that and put a pilot together, I mean, uh, put some episodes and see what they looked like together and started working with the conservation groups. I used to have a conservation minute within each episode of our show and launched the year after that. And so that Skullbound was on the Sportsman's channel for nine years. And then a couple of years ago, in my opinion, TV is so changing. And I really was thinking we needed to at least go partly digital because um, people want their, you guys know, people want their adventure, hunting, fishing, TV, uh, adventure TV when they want it, when they're on break, maybe at night, you know, someone in their house is watching The Bachelor and they don't want to watch it. So they want honey, whatever, hunting, but you they get on their, their phone, you know, they want it when they want it. And so I didn't, I thought long and hard about this decision. I didn't want to go to YouTube. I had some stuff on YouTube, but not a whole lot, not full episodes. And I, I did a bunch of research. Um, I was also on my outdoor TV because that's the parent, that's the sister company with outdoor and sportsmen's that's their online network. I was on there, but it's a paid subscription based. I wanted free. I wanted people to be able to go watch my show, not cost them a dime, share that link with people. I wanted to be able to, if I did a veteran hunt, that veteran could share that link with all of his friends and family and and so I chose Carbon TV and it's been amazing. Um, I went there, I'm right now currently in my fourth season of, of Carbon TV. 
So the first year I was wrapping up season nine on the Sportsman's Channel. And then I also had season one of Skullbone Chronicles. And season one was just a, a big collection of highlights from the last decade. And that the numbers did so well on there. The next year I jumped ship completely to Carbon TV. And so that's where I am exclusively now. And it's free and it's really fun to be able to put everything there. And um, I am currently in season four of Skullbone Chronicles this year. I really wanted to put all my veteran episodes in one big season. So that's what 2022 looks like for Skullbone Chronicles. It's um, the best of the best at veteran episodes, one coming out every month. So. Oh, nice. Anyway, nice. that was supposed to be a short story really long. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it was great. And it, it brings up a lot of good, uh, I think, good questions. And the one I want to like back up to like where you transis transition from basically your day-to-day -day hunter to like, hey, man, I'm going to I'm going to host a TV show. And it makes me think of a question I've always questioned myself is like when we started this podcast, I'm like, at the start, I was like, oh, I kind of feel uncomfortable, like, you know, expressing my opinions and doing stuff when like, I'm kind of nobody, right? Did you ever have that feeling going from just uh, like, let's just say everyday hunter to like hosting a TV show? Did you find that uncomfortability? Um, yes and no, for sure. Um, one thing I feel like, um, I felt a little, I, one thing that made me comfortable about it is the fact that I had already been hunting for 20 years, you know, right. so um, had a lot of success hunting. I felt like I could walk the walk and talk the talk. I wasn't just a, an influencer for lack of a better <laughs> word, <laughs> but so that made me a little bit comfortable. I'm also really, my personality is really goofy and um, really tell it like it is and kind of what you see is what you get. And I stick my foot in my mouth a ton, but at least you know what you're getting. Like, you know, I, I don't feel like I've ever had to put on any airs or act a certain way or, you know, and honestly, my friend Robert Hanneman with The Hunt and Fool said something to me one time that really sticks in my head a lot. He said, I think people really like your show because you just keep it real. You don't try right. to act like some big expert. And um, I do try to keep it real, whether I'm doing something that I'm new to, like I said, I've just picked up new weapons in the last, you know, five, six years, the muzzleloader and the pistol and, and, um, you know, or new to maybe a big game species that I haven't hunted before. I've just always tried to have people come along with me, learn as I learn. And, um, no, it's been just amazing. I, I just feel so much gratitude all the time. I still sometimes can't believe that, um, I've been able to turn this into a, success, a successful career. And I just feel so lucky to be able to do that. And, uh, you know, it's funny when we started Skullbound, I remember talking about it and sort of, uh, you know, making goals and what, what are we going to accomplish? And really, I just, my goal was to keep it real and to keep it authentic and not have any of my partners try to tell me what they wanted. And I have the best partners on the planet. Not one of them have I ever felt that way with where, you know, I have to do so many shows and they have to look like this, or, you know, I need to promote this product or that product better. I've never, I've never felt that pressure. And again, it could be because I'm not in my early twenties starting this out. You know, I was in my early forties start, you right. know, starting out well, late thirties. And, um, I've just happened to also just be teamed up with the best partners and have let me really have that unique, um, creativity and to keep it, keep it real. Um, which I think is really the key to my success personally. 
Yeah, I um I remember having a conversation with this guy named Jay Siemens, and I don't know if you've heard of his name, but he's a, a big big angler up here in Canada, and he does work with Meat Eater and stuff like that now. And I remember having him on a podcast episode, and he's been doing the YouTube thing for a long time before we even started. And I remember asking him kind of the same questions, like, you know, how do you how do you do it? And he I remember him saying the same thing is like if you guys like just be yourselves. And if people, you know, if you get one listener, a billion, who cares? But um, just be yourselves and people will either gravitate to it or not. Right. And, yeah. um, yeah, so I really like how you say that, like, just, uh, keep it real, I guess is, uh, it's funny. Cause that was my, I think it was my grad saying too, was it was keep it real. To be <laughs> honest, but <laughs> true though. And, and I honestly believe this, that we all have an energy about, you know, every person, we, every living thing has energy about them. And have you ever been in a crowd where someone comes up to you, you've never met them before and they give you like either an amazing vibe. You're like, I like them like right yeah. off the bat. Right. Or they're funny, whether it's funny or just, they've got this loving energy. And then flip side of that, you can meet someone and be like, I don't know why they didn't say anything, but what a jerk, you know, or, yeah. you know, and I try really hard not to be judgmental, but it, sometimes that fight or flight judgment is, you know, we're humans. It's what happens. But I feel like people have an energy about them and you, we can all, our BS detector goes off when someone's not being authentic and not right. being real. And I feel like uh, you can see it a mile away and I don't gravitate towards those people. I actually am very, I, 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 I run as far as I can from people who just aren't real. And mm -hmm. so, right. you know, I, I think it's a key to people's success is just being authentic. Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty easy to, uh, to kind of put a mask on and, in. and, in this day and age as well with, uh, with the internet and, and li literally everything has a filter on it now. And you, it's, it's tough to tell who's real. So, um, yeah, yeah it's awesome that, that there, there still are real people out there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think from, from my standpoint too, um, a really cool part of your success here in, in the whole shift over to the media world is like your involvement with conservation groups and veterans and all this other, these other like good deeds almost that, that you're, you put a lot of energy into and you're giving back. Well, when we started Skullbound, um, I, my goal wasn't, I want to have a hunting show. It was, I want to show people that hunters are bigger animal lovers than most of these, you know, anti-hunting or animal rights groups out there. I wanted to show that we're, that we're, we do more for the herds and the habitat and the flocks, but we also are true, like in the, in the depths of our souls, animal lovers. And I really wanted to show that. And the one thing that I feel shows that more than anything else is conservation is what we hunters do for wildlife. And it is so missed, especially on TV, like TV shows. And I believe it or not, I don't really watch a whole lot of hunting shows. I don't, I don't really like a whole lot of them, which sort of sakes what I do. But um, I, but I, I just feel like a lot of them are, are about how big is your buck? How big is your bull? You know, and, and Hey, we all love big game animals. We all love the bigger, the better. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that, uh, we all love, I hate the word trophy, but it, it's the only word people really understand. We all love a really big trophy, but it's so not about that. So there's so much more to hunting than that. And I wanted to show that on my show. I really wanted to show that we we're animal lovers and, and, and what we do for conservation, not just with our conservation groups. Like I literally belong to, I'm a lifetime member of 
uh, the Mule Deer Foundation, National Wild Turkey Federation, Safari Club International. I'm an annual member of Sportsman's for Fish and Wildlife, the Wild Sheep Foundation, NRA, um, Sportsman's Alliance. Um, there might be another couple. I think it was seven last time I counted. Um, and, and I also raise a lot of money for conservation because I'm so passionate about it. It's, it's what I feel is going to, it, it's what I know protects the wildlife and, and protects the herds and protects our heritage and our future. And it's in, I also feel that it, in what we really need to do is reach the non hunters, right? We're not going to reach the antis. That's their passion. That's their thing. That's their shtick. The anti-hunting or the animal rights groups, I don't believe we're going to reach them just like they're not going to reach me. But we need to reach the 80 to 90% of the public that don't hunt. They're not anti. They're not pro-hunting. They've never been exposed to it. They don't really understand what we're all about. And so that's why I'm so passionate about raising money for conservation is, is because the conservation groups are the ones who are doing the actual work um, out there. Like, for example, in Montana, like um, off the top of my head, wild sheep are very susceptible. They're a very fragile species. They're susceptible to pneumonia, if they, especially if they get into contact with domesticated sheep. And you can wipe out a herd in the course of one season. Well, then someone needs to come along and reestablish those herds. Well, it's yeah. not animal rights groups that do it. It's hunters groups that do it. It's groups exactly. like the Wild Sheep Foundation or SFW or Mule Deer Foundation or groups like that. Those are the ones who are putting sheep back on the mountain or, or you know, figuring out how CWD is going to affect whitetails and mule deer across this country. Like it's, it's hunters groups who are doing all these things. And whether it's fighting anti-hunting legislation, fighting the antis in courts, um, you know, there's someone has to pay for the our side of things the attorneys and the specialists and someone's got to uh let the world know groups like the sportsman's alliance let us know in every single state what's going on and how we can fight it and who we can contact and you know what congressman or senator we can write about bills and you know somebody has to keep us informed and market that to us and someone has to actually do the projects and so that's why I just, I'm so passionate about the conservation groups. Yeah, for sure. And like, there's a lot to say about, I know a lot of like hunters that like to bitch and complain about like certain things. And it's like, well, are you involved in the, like for us, are you involved in Manitoba Wildlife Federation? Well, no, I'm not. I'm like, so why are you bitching? Like get involved. And then you, you know, you're, you're, you talking actually has credit to like my listening. Yeah. Kind of thing, you know, um, yeah. one thing I wanted to ask you about, about a lot of these groups that you are involved in is that the one thing that I do notice in our province uh, as a whole is that a lot of these groups almost seem, um, I hope I'm not going like, to offend anyone by saying this, but like, it almost seems like it's a bunch of like um, old school mentalities, like, and you have to have a lot of money to participate and do a, like do these suppers and these banquets and stuff. Do you guys have any of those initiatives where it's like, you guys are doing like projects that like anybody can get involved with. Like you don't have to have millions of dollars, let's say. Oh, absolutely. You do not need to be a high roller to be a right. member. For example, um, I last, I have been to, I think it's nine banquets this season. And that, and that means just this last few months um, uh, with John. So my boyfriend works for Sportsman's for Fish and Wildlife. Okay? okay. That group, for example, last weekend, we were at a banquet in the middle of nowhere, Blanding, Utah. 
And they had, I think, 400 and some people there. And the one thing I've noticed that they do a tremendous job at is getting the youth and the kids involved. And there were, I bet you at that four out of the 400, I bet you there were at least 50 kids there, 40 to 50 kids. There were tons of teenagers and the average age for people there, I would say it was in their thirties and forties, you know, and then you had people, a couple of men there in their eighties and stuff, but SFW does a really good job of getting everyone involved. And the way they do that is, is so you buy your banquet ticket, right? And you, you might, when you're looking at a banquet ticket, every, everybody's banquets are different, but let's just to make it easy, say you buy um, a, a, a dual pack for two people for the dinner. That's it's a hundred dollars, let's say to make it simple. And that hundred dollars gets you 20 raffle tickets, a chance at a gun and then dinner. So for a hundred bucks, you get in the door, you got a chance at all these raffles. I think last weekend they gave away like 70 guns. It's right. crazy how many guns SFW gets away, but that's what gets everybody in the door and everybody, you know, raises money for wildlife and there's games. So it's not a high roller type of event. This was a banquet of 400 people where everybody like they played heads or tails for money or they... <laughs> There's a $2 bill game where you, you buy a $2 bill for 20 bucks. And then the one person who gets, who has the winning serial number wins a gun. And, you know, it's, it's really soup. They have done such a good job of making it super fun and make, and then there's a kid's corner where the kids can play get tons of games, um, throw the rings on the antlers, you know, as they're sticking all up and all the kids, all the kids walk away with something, whether uh, it's a little like trinket or they can win fishing poles and guns and a couple of the gun raffles you have to be under 16 to raise your bit hand so the you know the oh, yeah. parents are holding up their babies you know <laughs> bidding on the guns and stuff it, they just have a they've done a really good job of making it fun but it is definitely not a rich man's game at all right and then when the kids are involved they want to go to it every year and then when they get older, they get involved in the chapter. They help raise money for the chapter. They go out on, you know, habitat projects, um, capturing projects, you know, uh, collaring calf elk, uh, mountain lion studies, you name it. And they get they get involved and hands on. And it's just so much fun. But it's it's a huge become a huge part of my life. These, you know, chapters I, I you know, I've been. So this year alone, I've been to Wild Sheep Foundation banquets, Mule Deer Foundation. Um, I wasn't able to go for the first time in like 10 years to the National Wild Turkey Federation Convention. That is so much fun in Nashville. Um, but there, there are so many groups, especially here in the States, that you can get involved with and get your kids involved. And it is not a high stakes money kind of thing. Right. That's that's amazing that uh, they've really figured out how to target like the, the families there, like you said, and multi generational. Because like one of my biggest fears is like with technology coming up here, is that I feel like kids are going to get so distracted by social media and other forms of technology that they're going to get like pulled away from the conservation and the non for profits and all these other groups that are making a difference up out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a fear. Yeah, for sure. We live in, it's just such a different era. And, um, you know, I am surrounded in it. And sometimes I forget that, you know, there are a lot of kids who don't ever step foot outside, you know, and, and it is a fear of mine. And especially culturally, the culture wars that we're in right now uh, of having our government, your government try to take away our guns 
um, yeah. try to take away our hunting rights. I mean, I'm a brand new Montana wildlife commissioner and it's been very eye-opening. Um, not, not in Montana as much as watching all these other states around me, like Colorado, Washington, California, stripping away their hunting rights and it's scary we need we need to band together stronger as hunters stop becoming um you know so divisive nothing ticks me off more than when i'm on social media and i see the trad bow hunter guys who are slamming the compound bow guys or who are yeah. slamming you know and it's like people we need to band together stronger you have no idea what's coming for us and, and if we're divided and we're, you know, I even, it's really disheartening to me. There are a few conservation groups that I'm not a fan of at all because I see their divisiveness online and I'm disgusted by it. I can't stand it that they're constantly critiquing and bashing and being critical of, you know, rules, regulations, uh, other hunters. And I just, I think you are going about this so wrong um, because, because their approach is divisiveness. Come with us. Don't go with them instead of all working together. The mm -hmm. groups that I work with are actually really great at working together. They often do wildlife projects together. They like, for example, the big, huge Western hunting and conservation expo in Salt Lake city every year is put on by the mule deer foundation and sportsmen's for fish and wildlife. These are two, some people would think of them as competing conservation groups. They put the whole event on together and raise a ton of money for wildlife. That's what I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, th I think that's a, the, a good thought to have is like, you know, it, th there shouldn't be competition between these groups. It should be an inclusiveness that, you know, everybody's welcome here and we need to be working together as, as teams moving forward. And like, yeah. you know, something you, you talk about, like the, the people that are like making the decisions to like get rid of where we're losing hunting rights. And, and I, I think of like BC is a perfect example where like, yeah. They lost the the grizzly bear hunt out there, and they're like, I, I think they're like on the doorsteps of like losing the black bear hunt as well. Um, well, and caribou, caribou is uh, being threatened in yeah. like Alaska, parts of Alaska, northern Alaska, for example. And yeah, yeah, there's and, and there like, are things. These, I'm sorry, sorry go ahead. these are like things that are like decisions that are being made out of like a city center. From from what I understand, from like people that don't even travel outside into the real wilderness and don't have a clue what's going on out there. And we're losing this stuff. Right. No, I mean, look what just happened in Colorado. Their commission, their commission um, stopped. No, I'm sorry, not Colorado, Washington. Their commission halted the spring bear hunt. And it, it's, it's, and even the science does not back that up. And people who don't hunt might not understand. They might not see bears where they live and they think, oh, you don't need to kill bears. That's horrible. I've heard so many times in my life, people, well, I, I support deer hunting, but I don't support black bear hunting. And I think they just have no basis for science or they just haven't been educated. Black bears do such tremendous damage on our ungulate populations, our deer, our elk calves and black bears. Like for example, I live just outside of Missoula, Montana. We have a major black bear problem. They're coming into the city. Our fish, wildlife and parks division in region two is constantly managing the trouble black bears and we need to manage them like any other predator, like wolves, 
you know, mountain lions, bobcats, they all need to be managed. And they all play a part on other species, other bird populations. And, they, and it's not an exact science. No one is saying that, but, there, but there's no doubt that they need to be managed. And uh, it's a shame when you see states like Washington get rid of their spring bear. The science says they need it. Um, it turned into a social issue, not a bio biological or biology-based decision. And that's sad. And if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. Yeah, no kidding. There, there seems to be some, like when we're looking at animals that, that get put onto the, the no hunt list, we'll say. Not not that they're in any sort of like uh, population. Um, yeah. Like, uh, like their population is not decreasing at all. But like, it seems like the predators are like, have some sort of special place in everyone's heart. Whereas like yeah. ungulates and stuff like that are still, I don't know if it's because of, of just how, how different they are as species or whatever, but it's, it's, it's such a weird situation to me because they, they really do affect like all the other species as well. Like you're talking about, like, like oh. when you're talking the caribou herds in, in Northern BC, like one of the, the major things that affects those herds is the predation on the calves from black bears. Exactly. Know? Exactly. And, you know, I live in Montana where we have major wolf issues, black bear issues. We've got the grizzly issue, which is a federal issue. It puts it at a different level. But, um, you know, in almost every state we have coyote issues, bobcat issues, and the even the coyotes, the small coyotes and bobcats do tremendous amount of damage on the pheasants, quails, uh, fawns, deer fawns, antelope fawns. And, um, People who are against predator hunting, but not deer or elk hunting, for example, simply just don't understand the biology of it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and the thing is there too, and this is kind of my personal opinion, is that I think a lot of people that are in the city or in the, you know, in the middle of the perimeter, let's say, don't see any predator issues until that issue is on their doorstep. And then they're like, oh, well, maybe there is a bear issue. It's like, well, no, there's been a bear issue 300 miles before you even got to your doorstep. Like they're killing off all this stuff. And, and it's like, I don't know, it's one of those things we can go on for hours about. Um, but maybe we just need more movies about Bambi and less movies about <laughs> Brother Bear. Oh, oh, I'm telling you, the Disney <laughs> mentality does no one any favors. It really No, exactly. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, I was, yeah, I wanted to kind of just back up a little bit to um, talking about some of those organizations that you've been working with. One thing that we, when we started Panoramic Outdoors, one of our goals in our business plan was just to get people outside. We've said that since day one. It, obviously, that's something that you really advocate for. Is there anything that you find that like works really well of getting not only kids outside, but like, you know, those 30 year olds, 25 year old, 30 year olds that want to like source their own food, want to do all this stuff. Have you found anything that uh, kind of relates to it all and puts it all together to get people outside? Yeah, I, I get that question a ton, especially from men who say, how do I get my girlfriend out there with me? Or how do I get my wife, you know, into the woods? And it really, my, my best answer to that is just let them shadow you. I think a lot of men want to throw a weapon, you know, into their girlfriend or wife's arms. And, you know, it can be a bit intimidating if they've not shot bows or guns and pistols. And, and I really think there's, there's so much more to hunting, whether it's tree stand hunting, spot and stalk, I really recommend taking your kids or someone new, let them shadow you for a season or two, show them what it's like, show them signs, show them what 
whitetail scrapes and rubs look like and why they do that during the rut. Show them, you know, take a walk out into the desert and show them, oh, this is where antelope, see right here, like just the other day we were out, this is a whole other topic, looking for shark's teeth in the middle of Utah. I've seen, seen that too. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> but like, I found the spot where these antelope were, um, like it was their, like they call like they, for lack of a better word, they call it the latrine, where they're all using this one area in the sand and it was super cool. And I saw this really big buck and, um, you know, take, take your kids or your girlfriends or your wives or, or somebody new out and show them why you're out there. Not, you know, not necessarily the weapon side of hunting, um, obviously hunter safety is great for that. Um, a lot of states have the mentoring program where someone doesn't need to go through the, the eight week classroom of hunter safety, but can men, you can mentor them, show them what it's like and see, let them see that they don't need to be so intimidated and all the beautiful things they're going to see when they're hiking the woods or the mountains, you know, that's, I think the best advice I could give is let someone new or your kids shadow you for, for a season or two. That's awesome. That's super. Yeah. It's super interesting. Uh, with that, I've always said like, even, um, I've got some family members and stuff that, um, never really hunted and always ask me like, well, why do you love it? And I always just say, well, just come out. Like you don't have to hunt, just come sit with me. Yeah. You know, I haven't had too many takers on it, but I know the odd one that has come out, um, especially even like my brother-in-law, he wasn't a big into deer hunting. Um, and came out a couple of times with my dad and I, and absolutely loves it. Now he, like, he tells my sister, like, Hey, I'm taking a week off. I'm going hunting with your, with your dad and your brother for, for whitetail. Right. So like those it. kind of small accomplishments are, I think are huge in the long run. So, yeah. And then, you know, then you add on, if they do pick up a, a weapon and actually hunt and notch their first tag, there's, there's, uh, there's nothing else in the world that compares to the life lessons that are um, paralleled with hunting, in my opinion, you know, patience, um, hard work, um, putting yourself through tough times and whether the tough times are battling frigid cold temperatures or hiking up the mountain, physically packing out your game, whatever the challenges are, when you then get to sit down and have dinner that you got with your own hands, there's nothing there's nothing else like that in the world that, that I've been through. Um, you can equate kind of some of the life lessons through sports, but it still doesn't even give you the sustainability, the confidence that hunting does. I, right. you know, I, some of the States, I think it was Colorado just passed where they can teach hunter safety as an elective in junior high or high school. And I'm, oh, I was so excited to see that pass because you know, it just makes it number one, more acceptable when the kids see that as an elective. And it's also teaching them valuable life skills. And if, mm -hmm. if there's nothing, I, if with COVID we could, that could be a whole nother podcast, but with the <laughs> couple of good things that have come out of the tragedy of COVID our people have had to really think about their food supply because there were grocery stores that the shelves were empty. You know, right now meat prices at grocery in general is just, John, my boyfriend and I went to Walmart yesterday and we were both in like shell shock when we walked out of there. The prices of everything have is, is gone up. Um, and not to say that the price of hunting hasn't gone up because it's gonna cost more in gas. Mm -hmm. You know, every year tags go up a little bit, but there's something so beautiful in my opinion about being a collective member of a hunting community that gathers their own meat and also knows that their dollars 
not just through the conservation groups, but like in, in the states through the Pittman-Robertson Act, every license we buy and every conservation stamp and every um, hunting related product, ammunition, guns, archery products are taxed. And that tax goes toward, towards each state's wildlife budget. And so we're doing, we're not only doing, you know, beautiful work in gathering our own food and sustainability, but we're also, you know, protecting the herd's habitat and our heritage at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And once you like your brother-in-law, once you get into it, they see that it's, it's, it's healing on so many levels. Oh yeah, absolutely. And like, that's the one thing that I envy, like, I look at this, a lot of the States, um, in the U S and just like, man, they're doing so many good things because I find like in Canada and in Manitoba, um, not this and our groups, like our, our groups do phenomenal jobs, but our government, the way it's been governed hasn't been, I think as good as it could be. Right. And, um, another reason why we're doing what we're doing as well too. So, yeah. um, but we're, we don't want to take up too much of your, of your time either. I heard you're getting a boat ready to go fishing sometime this summer. Um, but Chase, I think Chase, you got a couple of questions about some handguns or what? Um, I, I want to, uh, sidestep the handgun thing for a minute and I am, but uh, cause I am super curious about your, your new position here at the, on the Montana wildlife commission. Mm-hmm. And what, what does that look like? Well, I, that's a good question. I'm still trying to figure that out. I, <laughs> I was appointed. So I actually, a couple of the conservation groups that I work with and friends who are, you know, friends who work with the conservation groups, they're the ones who said, Hey, did you see that there's a commissioner position uh, open for Montana? And I didn't, I didn't even know how the commission worked. Like, um, so in Montana, there were five commissioners the new governor wanted to have a commissioner for every region. And we have seven hunting regions in Montana. So he wanted to add two new commissioners to the to the docket. And so I thought about it. I had a bunch of phone call meetings with people just asking them like what kind of time commitment it is involved. Let me just say they completely undersold me. Um, and you know, what's involved and what does it look like? And um, you know, I did you know, uh, have moments of like, well, I don't, I don't know all the regulations and I don't know. And, you know, all the intricacies that go into being a wildlife commissioner and, you know, everyone kept saying no one does. I mean, and they change every year. It, you'll learn as you go and you learn as you grow, but as long as you are solid on your position, of course, it's hunting and hunting and fishing and trapping and it's, it's land acquisition. It's, it, there's so many facets to, the commission into the fish wildlife and parks department of Montana. But anyway, um, I got a phone call from the governor's office said he wanted to have an interview with me. He called me up. We had an interview. I was offered the commissioner position and that was this last fall. And my term is actually only 14 months, um, because of the adding of the two new ones. I then could get reappointed by him for another four year term next January we'll see. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very um, challenging role. There's a lot going on in Montana right now with our big game species. Um, and, but I, uh, I feel it's really important. And so there's part of me that's going, I don't have time for this. It's, it could be a full-time job. And when I I'm running my own production company and doing my show and, you know, I work for like 12 different partners of mine, it, I have a lot going on already, but at the same time, it's super important. Um, I'm still in the very early learning curve stages of it, but basically I'm the 
governing commission that sets forth the rules and regulations for hunting, fishing, and recreation. That's cool. amazing. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's, uh, that's not easy work, that's for sure. No. I'm finding that out. <laughs> <laughs> and But it's, you know, it's a really great challenge. Um, mm-hmm. It's, um, I, uh, it's political, which I don't like. And people can say, well, it's not political. It's, it has nothing to do with politics. It does, though. It yeah. does in ways. Um, that's a whole nother podcast. And I, I personally try to go into it, go into every single issue. And there's a lot of them at every meeting. We meet in person every other month in Helena, but we have a lot of meetings. I probably had four phone calls today that were commission related. And then there's all these other subgroups that want you to come to their meetings. And, um, but I want, it's, it's important to me to go into every topic to just try to listen as best I can. Mm-hmm. Listen twice as much as I talk and try to hear what they're having to say and try to understand and not make decisions based on one particular group's opinion or one particular, because every single aspect, like let's say right now we're dealing with lion season setting, mountain lion season setting. You've got the houndsmen who have one particular perspective. You've got the outfitters who have a little bit different perspective than just the houndsmen. You've got the public landowners and the guys who love the chase. You've got the people who don't want any more mountain lions taken because they love mountain lions. And you know they don't understand that they need to be taken out because there are certain regions in our state that are the deer are really suffering. And so there's so many, there's biological and social aspects to every issue. And I'm just trying hard to, Make sure I do my due diligence, listen to all sides before making decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, cool. that's really tough. And it's it's uh, a lot of variables. And I think mm-hmm. like when you get up into like the the higher level of any conservation groups, it's it's very becomes very political, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, we're getting pretty close to uh our wrap up time here. Do you have a couple of minutes to talk handguns or do you got to skedaddle? Absolutely. All right. <laughs> so, so I, I'm really interested. Um, I think you're one of our first guests that, uh, has actually been involved in, in the handgun hunting stuff, but, um, yeah. can, how did you get involved with that? Um, I actually met, I never really thought about it before. Well, actually that's not true. I did think about it. I never really, I didn't own a handgun myself till I moved to Montana. And I bought uh, my first handgun just because I was hunting a ton in bear country. And then after a grizzly encounter that we had, which is a whole nother podcast, um, not close encounter, not like hands-on encounter, but ran into two mating grizzlies uh, on the hillside across from us where that's not even an area that they're supposed to be in. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm convinced they're everywhere in Montana now, but um, and that's actually a cool episode in see on um, season. I think it's season one. We show highlights of that grizzly encounter. We filmed them for seven hours. Um, but then I decided I needed a bigger handgun. And then I, I, I just, I have, I think I've got five handguns now, but I really started hunting with one about five years ago. I met Magnum research, a gun company out. Um, I met them when I was at shot show. And just kind of got introduced to the idea of hunting with a handgun. And the first animal I took was a mountain lion. And that is with hounds. And, you know, you're obviously you're under the tree and you've got typically you're within 30 yards. So 
it's a hunt that's very conducive for a handgun. Um, but then I, I run my own bear baits in Idaho, started hunting three years ago with a handgun in Idaho. And then I, I've been to Texas with my buddy Buck Medley and I've gotten hogs, javelina, turkey, um, anything else? <laughs> trying to think what else um with my desert eagle 429 so yeah it's been really fun i've notched five tags and uh i'm going to be hunting again uh with bear in just a month or two here in idaho um i really the one thing i really do want to take is a whitetail or an elk with my pistol i have yet to do that that'd be a pretty big feat um yeah. i am curious if uh your recommendations if somebody's interested in getting into handgun hunting a where do they start? And B, did he do any like uh, formal training? Like I know down in the States there, they have all kinds of like, it's mainly self-defense stuff. Like if you go to front site or stuff like that, but uh, did yeah. you do anything like that? I didn't go through any specific training, one-on-one -on -one training. Um, I just shot a lot at the range. And of course I'm pretty familiar and comfortable with all other guns, rifles, mm -hmm. muzzleloaders, shotguns, um, and just spent a lot of time, uh, you know, pushing my range a little bit to where we would set the target out to 40 yards and just felt super comfortable with every single shot, you know? Um, and that I would just recommend, I I've trained a bit in the long range rifle side of things with some military buddies. I, I've also gone through some classes up in Kalispell with Nemo arms, but um, handgun hunting, I've not done any specific classes like that but i do have a lot of buddies that teach it but that i would recommend that there are so many you know and there's so many great classes that that women or men can sign up for to learn how to shoot a handgun that's probably the first step especially if you don't have other gun experience um and then once you have classes on how to shoot a handgun go to the range be comfortable with it and you can hunt with it obviously look up your regulations each state is a little bit different in terms of what caliber you need to hunt with. But uh, I would just, you, with any weapon, whether it's a bow, whether it's a muzzleloader, handgun, whatever, is just get comfortable with that weapon at the range. And if, in, if you've never had formal training on any type of gun, I would recommend that. And my goodness, there are so many, and I, I bet you in every city, there's somewhere you can go to get fantastic handgun or rifle lessons. Yeah. Have you, what's your biggest, if you could just sum this up, um, what, what's the biggest pushback you've got from doing this, from doing the handgun hunting? Have you had it much at all or nope. tough questions <laughs> to answer? No, I really haven't. I haven't had any pushback. I mean, you've got the typical negative comments once in a while while you're sitting right. there, you know, with your grip and grin of a mountain lion or a bear and people yeah. are like, you're disgusting. And you know, you see word, B word, that cut, that's all the time. I mean, I, that, it actually makes me giggle now, 12 years later. In the beginning, it didn't, but now it does. It's, yeah. it's that, that's because that's the only argument the animal rights people have, you know, mm -hmm. is they just don't understand. But I really haven't gotten any negative pushback um, in terms of people criticizing hunting with a handgun at all. Again, oh, this is good. the States. We're pretty gun friendly down here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, I really haven't. Um, you know, it's funny. I use I, I got a anti-hunting comment years back, and it was I think I was posing with my biggest bear, and I'm holding my rifle in one hand and my bear in the other, and you know, oh, why don't you be a real hunter and and shoot it with a pistol, meaning get close, right? Oh, yeah. And now that I have, I wonder if that anti is still trolling me and <laughs> that. Thank you for the encouragement. 
Yeah, no kidding. I'm sure they'd have something else to complain about. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, I've learned to just if anyone's rude or crude, I just block them. My block. I have over five thousand people blocked on Facebook, and wow. I mean, and I'll have an open discussion with somebody if they're polite. If they're not going to be polite, they're not worth my time. Mm-hmm. And so I, exactly. I just block them. And it really doesn't happen half as much as it used to because they're blocked or I've already blocked <laughs> the five accounts that they've got, you know, so. Yeah. Crazy. So, well, we don't want to give too much of your time. Um, Chase, you got any final thoughts before we let uh, Jenna go? Uh, my only final thoughts are like, thanks a lot, Jennifer, for coming on the podcast. Join us. Uh, had a great conversation here. Uh, keep doing the great work that you're doing. Like, um, obviously you're putting out some great content and you're a great inspiration, but you also do a lot of great work with conservation groups and the, the, the veteran groups as well, which is very important work. I think you have the, a perfect mindset and a great attitude going in towards your stint for the, uh, wildlife commissioner there and, uh, best of luck. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, we, we could go on and on, you know, before we started the podcast, we talked a couple about a couple of topics we could touch on. I'm just going to have to come back to talk about Sasquatch and aliens. Oh, so. that's what I wanted to, I wanted to bring up Sasquatch, nope. but we'll leave it for next time. <laughs> You're just going to have to have me on again. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much, guys. I really appreciate the fun chat. Yeah, for sure, Jenna. Thanks a lot for coming on. I was going to, I had a bunch of stuff to say, but Chase basically took most of the words out of my mouth. So <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. And I think we've both said, uh, or all three of us said, that's another, that's for another podcast. So we're going to have to for sure get you on. It was great to get you on and just like kind of get to know who you are. Like, to be honest, like we've seen you on the internet and seen you on Instagram, Facebook, social media, but to get down, sit down and talk about some of the stuff that you're, stuff that you're passionate about um, and, and what you're doing like every day is super cool to do. So, and very fortunate to be able to do a podcast to get people like you on. So thanks a lot and uh, enjoy the rest of your night and the rest of your week and, uh, and good luck this year. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I'm already looking forward to our next chat. Right on. And there we go. There we have it. That was an, uh, another great podcast, kind of like interview. I guess we do interviews with this podcast. That was a great one. I really enjoyed Jana um, and all the things that she's been doing. It's pretty remarkable. Chase, you uh, were also co-hosting with that. What was your kind of final thoughts on the whole thing? Once again, I'm always like overwhelmed on like on how we can just get a different perspective from some people. And I'm like, she does a lot of other podcasts as well. And, um, I haven't listened to everyone. I listened to a few, but she's, seems pretty consistent, but I always just enjoy having like that conversation with people and really digging down, finding out who they are and, and what they're doing. And, and it's, you know, um, uh, Jana's path through the outdoor scene has been, um, it seems like a pretty clear reflection on where her heart is at with stuff. You know what I mean? She's, she puts in a lot of, she put, gives back a lot. And I think a lot of people see that. And, uh, I think it's, it's just, you know, really worked out in her favor. Um, I know she's no way doing it for like, uh, any sort of money or anything or, or like benefit, but just, just who she is and what she wants to do. And it's, it's just, um, I think it earned her a lot of respect. So it does. Yeah. I think, and to kind of echo what you said there too, it almost makes you open your eyes to the projects and initiatives that Americans in like different States have that are 
you know, that we could almost learn from just by having those conversations with individuals, you know, like I think in Manitoba, there's maybe there's some more stuff we can be doing for certain animals or populations or, or groups, communities, whatever. Um, but yeah, pretty good little episode. Before we let everyone go, I want to talk about our store quick. If you go to www.panoramicoutdoors.com, we've got all your merch that you might want. We have some stuff out of stock because of back orders. Um, we're currently restocking stuff. We've got some camel hats coming into stock for bear and spring turkey seasons. And what else? We got camp mugs. We have basically everything. So if you're looking to get camping this, uh, this summer, get some camp mugs because they'd go good with your fire. And check that out. That's www.panoramicoutdoors.com. I just booked uh, a cabin today at Hecla for June. Heading up. Going to be doing some fishing. Nice. Yeah. But uh, I might have to double back and book a few more campsites for the summer as well because that's all I could get my my greasy hands on. So oh, yeah. they're booking up quick. But and- the website did not crash on me today, which was good. And Tristan, you are you doing some camp major camping this year or what? Got a seasonal in Hecla, that's the plan. Nice. And how far is Hecla like door to door for you? Is it pretty far or no? I can't couple remember. Couple hour couple hours. Oh yeah. Bit of a trek. Yeah. Well if you uh just load up the kid and the dog and be on your way. That'd be nice to have somewhere to go. That's the plan, man. That's the plan. We'll yeah. see how it goes. The summer's booking up quick already, though. I, I hate all these other commitments, so I'm trying my best to be antisocial in some ways, but it's not paying off. <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, fellas, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. It's always nice to get together, even if it's for half hour, 45 minutes, through the intros and outros. Um, we'll be seeing you on Highway 6 here in a couple of days, but, um, yeah, that should be it for me. Yeah, if we, uh, if we don't see all the listeners on the ice, then maybe keep an edge on that knife of yours, stick to the clear ice, and... Keep your batteries charged. Ooh, that's a good one.